This year's E3 blew us out of the water with all of the announcements, massive attendance by industry professionals and fans alike. Today, we're diving into the big themes we found at E3 that prove that times are a-changing. We're talking player creators, esports, and cutting-edge technology and ideas. I'm joined by Chris Hampson, project manager at Spark, and my brother in nerd, who has done <laughs> storyboarding for video games in the past. Did I get that right, Chris? You, you nailed it, yes. Uh, hi, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, I've uh, done some storyboarding for 2K Games and uh, Gearbox. Did a lot of uh, storyboarding uh, for trailers on the Battleborn series. Besides that, play a ton of video games, so very happy to be here. So you're very credible. Yes, absolutely. Yes, my, uh, my gamer account can show that. And I'm Vanessa Zucker, Sparks Marketing Manager and your host. Back in the day, I'd say around 2006 to 2010, I was the token girl on a video game review website, and that allowed me to go to E3 a couple of times, so I'm really excited to get back on this subject. Nice. Uh, make sure to tweet us at SparkPR to give us your take on E3. What did you pick up on? What was your favorite announcement? And what did you wish that you had got to see? <sighs> Just seeing how E3 has evolved, I think that they they almost do themselves as much of a service as disservice because they get everybody so amped up and expectations are so high. The presentations for the big boys, uh, just with the performances and musical numbers, along with groundbreaking reveals that they have are nuts and exactly why we saw so many people at this year's event, even more so than other years which almost made it better to sit at home and live stream it rather than go and be with the sweaty masses. The lines were supposedly ridiculous. And I'm thinking back to when the Wii came out and I stood in a four-hour line to play the Wii and I complained the whole time. And apparently it's worse than that now. <laughs> yeah. The last time I attended E3 was probably 2003 and this was before even the Xbox 360 came out. Uh, and I waited few hours in line to play maybe five minutes. And I can only imagine what that's like now. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like Comic-Con. Yeah, it's it's gone from being more of a convention to more of a show. So you And you get all sorts of, uh, not only people, but also companies bringing in crazy displays, performers out on the floor. And that isn't even mentioning the presentations that they do. Yeah. As for me, what I liked the most, Spider-Man always has a place in my heart. Uh, so getting to see some of that new uh, Spider-Man footage was really nice. I definitely fall into that category with a lot of other uh, people of wanting to have seen a lot more that was kind of hinted at the previous years, like Last of Us 2. But I, I think that Naughty Dog did it right and concentrated on the games that are coming out this year, even though they teased last year of... Uh, with that big uh, reveal. Well, I'm gonna put a little spoiler out there and say that I am very biased toward Bethesda, so I'll fangirl out on that, but I am gonna challenge them in this first segment. We're talking about cutting edge technology, and basically what I mean by that is VR. Okay. First of all, Oculus didn't have a booth. People were surprised by that at first. Really shocking. 
But when I think about it, they don't really need a booth as much. They can be integrated throughout the show. They're already known as like being, I'd say, like the best VR equipment right now. So probably by by tech standpoint, yeah. I, I did hear a stat that PlayStation sold something like a million PlayStation VRs. I believe that that has beat out the competition as far as pure volume. Mm. I think that there's a certain convenience that goes along with being able to have VR, but hook it up to something that's insulated like a console rather than a computer where you might have to upgrade certain uh, drivers or hardware. Uh, so it, it kind of just packages it all up for the person who wants that kind of experience. Yeah, and of course, PlayStation is the leader in VR out of all the companies. They've invested in it the earliest. I mean, they've come out with the product the earliest, and uh, they have a bunch of games for it already. Yeah, and there was definitely an emphasis by PlayStation on uh, VR this year, which they were kind of lacking throughout maybe last year and the early part of this year. So it's good to see that there is focus and support behind it. And surprising, if you look back at just VR in history, there's been a series of revivals of VR, and then it, it dies out through the 80s and the 90s. And 2000s. So it, it will be interesting to see if this sticks around or if this does get replaced by something like augmented reality, which I'm personally looking forward to. Yeah, the term is called mixed reality as we get a little bit deeper into it and we get more sophisticated with it. I was impressed. Okay, my bias is coming out. Bethesda, they made VR their first topic of their press conference. It was number one on their docket. And they went in deep with two of their biggest titles in VR, Doom and Fallout 4. And to me, that totally makes sense. I think first-person shooters and horror games make the most sense in a, a VR environment. VR is already very insulated, where you're not really seeing anybody else around you or connecting with anybody. So horror makes sense right there. And also, you're actually getting that real first-person view. So totally makes sense. I was surprised at some of the other things that were announced for VR that I never would have thought would even work as a format, but really looks pretty successful like and promising. What? Mario Kart VR. Oh, yeah, yeah. That sounds amazing and terrifying at the same time. <laughs> and I'm really hoping it's not a situation like back on the Wii when you had to put the Wii controller in the steering wheel and just no, nobody used it. But I love Mario Kart so much, I'm, I'm willing to see like how, how they would possibly do that. Oh, but how are you going to experience it? It's only being released in a Japanese arcade. That makes sense. So you have to be physically present for it. I'll fly to Japan. <laughs> well, I found that an interesting announcement because if you guys listen to our VR podcast with Rustin Murphy, he told me that he doesn't think it's a good idea for VR to move you around without your permission. So if the car is just moving around and you don't have control over it, aren't you going to get sick? Or since it's an arcade, maybe you have pedals, like a gas pedal and a brake pedal, and so you are in control. I really think that's, that's the only way that it could work well. Even the early launch of PlayStation VR, even before it came out, there were a lot of people that were getting uh, motion sick. So there has been That's an effort me. to try to correct that. And it's it's hard because you are putting everything an inch away from your eyeball and trying to emulate what it's like to actually be in a 3D space. Mm -hmm. I have a bigger picture question to add to this discussion. Do these titles that 
have been announced, do they need to be in VR? Because we've gotten along fine with them not being in VR so far. And I mean, I think the most successful uses of technology are when people find something that can only be expressed through that technology. Yeah. And I, I think that's a fantastic question. As I'm somebody who is waiting for augmented reality or mixed reality, VR still in a lot of ways feels a little forced or a little gimmicky. Uh, I, I compare it to like movies being put in 3D, which is another thing that has gone through cycles of being really popular and then dying out and really popular and dying out. And a lot of things are needlessly converted to 3D or VR. Uh, there's certainly exceptions to that rule. And I think that those exceptions sometimes help to push the boundaries of things. Even take uh, Avatar. Uh, that was shot in 3D exclusively for 3D, and it did incredible. And it's still referenced as being a very successful 3D movie. So, yeah, I think that we'll get a lot of things that are kind of just shoehorned in, but there might be some gems that help to move the bar forward and for us to get a better experience. Yeah, I hope so. So if we're talking about cutting-edge technology, I think that it is fair since we're on the event of E3, to talk about the Switch. Mm, yeah. Personally, you know, I prefer PlayStation, but I have this great respect for Nintendo as a brand because even though they might go through super successes like the Wii and major failures like the Wii U, they're always trying to push the bar and be innovators where the Wii tried to uh, introduce movement to your gaming. The Wii U tried to give you that experience where you could take the screen with you throughout the house. Obviously didn't work very well. But the Switch is wildly successful, and you can actually take that anywhere that you go and still tries to give you the uh, successful features of both of those previous units, like the uh, controllers with the Wii, the mobility of the Wii U, except now it's actually what we want. Yeah, they are trying to solve real-world problems that we have in gaming, not just like gaming, better yes. graphics. <laughs> Real-world problems in gaming. Yeah, like how you can um, make each side a separate controller and have two players playing on the same screen together. Really innovative. Expensive, but the quality is there and the experience is there. So it's really great to see something like that at that high quality and high pixel rate. All right, let's move on to our second theme that we saw at the show. Player creators. What I mean is players becoming creators, not just consumers, but they're actually contributing to the game itself. Sometimes the development, sometimes broadcasting, like on Twitch. I want to start by saying that in Mary Meeker's Internet Trends Report for 2017, one of the slides, it's slide 138, shows that registered developers on the Unity platform keeps increasing in numbers. In two years, from 2014 to 2016, it went from 3 million to 6 million developers, doubled in two years. So you can clearly see there are amateurs who are modding, there are amateurs becoming professionals, uh, just all over the board. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it's, you see that even in uh, the demand within games themselves, with competitive games or sports games where they give you some options to build your own levels uh, or create your player. So that makes sense that games like Mario Maker are a big success where they just made a game that was giving you all the tools and having people go out and make it themselves. Mm -hmm. So it's it's no wonder that things are wildly successful that stem from that, like Twitch and what you were mentioning. 
Bethesda announced something called a creation club, which is a way to buy mods from community members who work directly with Bethesda. So it's not like a unsanctioned third party person, like putting up an EXE document and you hope it's not a virus. Like they're actually working directly with the company to develop this content. I've also seen that with Forza, which is a racing game. People can completely customize their car and the Forza server will put up some of these really successful mods like the Jurassic Park Jeep or like a, a flaming donut uh, van. <laughs> I also saw that EA has a thing called EA Originals. It's where small studios pitch ideas and EA supports them with marketing, funding, etc. It sounded a little bit like a startup incubator in a way. And they said it allows for innovation to be scaled up for large distribution. The example game that they gave was called A Way Out, which is a split-screen co-op game about breaking out of prison, and it gets my vote as most innovative game that I saw. That's really interesting, uh, especially because you, you see these little uh, companies thriving with like their uh, escape rooms or, or panic rooms. So a game like that is kind of a good crossover. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So on the topic of uh, add-ons and mods, what is the craziest mod that you've ever seen? And I'm sure because you play Bethesda games, you've seen some really well. <laughs> of course, it's a Bethesda game. That would be my craziest one. I think it is the mod that basically transforms Morrowind into something that's even better than Skyrim in terms of graphics. Wow, that's a huge add-on. I know, I can't believe they put that much effort into it. I, I was thinking smaller scale for me. I, I'd like the uh, giant spider with uh, the macho man Randy Savage's face <laughs> on it that breathes fire. All right. The third trend that we saw, eSports. This is everywhere now. I see this all over the place. Again, Mary Meeker's Internet Trends Reports says eSports monthly viewers are up 40% of an increase from 2015 to 2016. And we saw a huge announcement a little while back. Activision Blizzard released their Overwatch League. As far as back as I can remember, when there's been video games, there's been people who want to compete and show that they're the best or at least better yeah, than one another. Yeah, but now it's cooler to do it. It's, is it? Uh, yes, I, I think <laughs> it is. Uh, at least it, it's done on a more accepted and, and wide scale. And you can make more money doing it. Yeah, well, and anybody can make money doing it, uh, even on the smaller scale. Look at Twitch, and Twitch has blown up over the last five years. People want to not only participate, but they want to watch it. It's fun for them. It's what they want to consume as far as media. Mm-hmm, yep. I saw that EA expanded their FIFA championship. Bethesda announced Quake champions. Um, they emphasize Quake as being the original eSport, so they're really trying to claim that title. Uh, I see that look on your face. I mean, I would say it's definitely probably one of the bigger early ones. Let, let's just say yes, for the sake of argument, sure. The Quake World Championships are in August, and the winner gets a million dollars. Yeah, pretty huge. good. Huge. Nintendo took a totally different approach to this in the sense that they announced three tournaments, Splatoon 2, Pokemon DX, and ARMS Open Invitational. 
all three of them took place at E3 in person. Well, I, I think that Nintendo is the most ground that they need to make up as far as online play. Even though the Wii and the Wii U had some of that component, it was never regarded as being very good. And now that they have this amazing new technology, the Switch that can go anywhere and is supposed to be founded on you being able to go anywhere, play anybody at any time, I think they really need to show that they can emphasize on that. So I think that was one of the smartest moves done by Nintendo at E3. Great. Okay, now that we're done with the three trends, I just want to go through each of the companies and press conferences and tell me what stood out to you. What did you see at EA? Well, I think the biggest title that they have is Star Wars. I mean, that's that marriage that happened a few years back was huge. And now that they are emphasizing on the first one and coming out with that second one that has a very powerful trailer, I think that's what everybody wants to see and to know about. And they, they have a long list of really good games, but that one alone, I think, can draw the crowds. Mm. And my pick is A Way Out, as I said earlier, the independent studios game. It looked awesome. Did you say that was in VR? No. Oh, God, that'd be terrifying. There are so many other VR games out there. We're getting confused. (laughs) Let's just assume everything's going to be in VR (laughs) format at some point. Well, what about Bethesda? Okay, I did criticize that I don't think every popular game needs to be in VR but Fallout 4 in VR does sound pretty cool. <laughs> I thought you were going to uh, have a criticism about um, Zelda being in uh, Skyrim. Oh, no, I, <laughs> I thought like, that was funny. Is that necessary? It's not necessary, but it's people-pleasing. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. And I guess for a studio that's known for their wide amounts of mods, I mean, if they don't capitalize on it, yeah. then someone's just going to put it out there it's for like free. It's so. an official mod, almost. Yeah. It's like the oh, yeah. a weird crossover it's, I wouldn't it's, have it's thought of. It's very strange. <laughs> it's, it's strange, and at the same time, it makes a little bit of sense just because Breath of the Wild, their new Zelda, yeah. is so much like a Bethesda game where it's just vast exploration. Mm-hmm. Next is PlayStation. What do you want to say about it? PlayStation, I think, has always been regarded, at least this year, as uh, needing to at least be on point with how well they did last year, because their show last year was incredible. They dropped a lot of big reveals, uh, they had great performances, and I'd say that they structured things in a, a good way, and I think that they came out probably on top as far as the press conferences went. Even just the, the showmanship alone, starting out with live bands that would pretty seamlessly fade into a trailer for a game like Uncharted or like Days Gone when they were showing the trailer for that and the main character is walking through a bunch of zombies that are hung upside down on ropes by their feet. In the actual press conference area, they had acrobats that were hanging by their legs and when the zombie jumped out, they kind of wriggled too. Just, I don't know who is planning these events, but that is unbelievable (laughs) and terrifying. So what about Nintendo? I noticed, correct me if I'm wrong, everything that they announced was a pre-existing IP. They announced a few a few different things. Nintendo has always had these like five solid brands that just never die. Yep. They repackage them in some way, add new features, and somehow make it totally worth buying the system, even just for those games alone. And that was definitely me guilty of doing that for the Wii U where I bought it just for Mario Kart. Then I think they did it this time. They did yeah. a good job. Oh, yeah. No, I think they did a great job. And 
even to the extent of bringing back some IP that isn't so popular and hasn't been around for a while, like the Rabbids, marrying uh, Mario and the Rabbids, a lot of people are very interested in that. And it's a very strange crossover again, but Nintendo is just on top of their stuff as far as marketing. They know how supply and demand works. They know how to tease you just enough to keep you interested. They're giving the fans what they want, and that's something to be excited about when they come to these kind of events. I saw a meme online that was making fun of how all the big players focused on really good graphics and really fast processing, and everyone's like, yeah, I heard it before. And then they show Mario Odyssey, and it says you put your hat on a frog and you become the frog and everyone goes wild because it's such a different idea. <laughs> I don't know who's coming up with these ideas, but I, I want to experience that too. Yeah, it seems like the good graphics, yeah, we expect that from the other players. From Nintendo, we need something innovative. They're not going the gimmicky route of, of VR, if you consider it to be gimmicky. They're definitely pushing the envelope every single time and really trying to develop games that play to those strengths of uniqueness of their hardware. Mm -hmm. That's exciting for me. All right, so we've talked about all these really big companies, but I keep coming back to this question of how in the world do you stand out in such a crowded market if you're not one of the big players? That's, that's a great question. And I think if you were to ask me that eight years ago, 10 years ago, say well you just don't <laughs> you you need to get absorbed by some of these big players but the exposure that you can get with so many different channels online paired with just what you could possibly have on your phone which isn't constrained to just five companies anybody can make a game and throw it up there it's very possible and you see a lot of indie companies becoming very relevant and coming up with even small very cool experiences and then hopefully eventually growing up into something big. Do you think that they are having a lot of success on Steam and basically channels that are outside of E3? Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I'd, I'd say that's where a lot of indie attention probably starts, whether through Kickstarters or through uh, mobile platform first or Steam. And then as they become big, I think it's hard for the um, bigger players to ignore them. And we see that with Xbox and PlayStation on their online network, they have a large selection of indie games that they kind of have to put on there. Otherwise, they start, to, they start to lose their relevance as a gaming console. They're not being inclusive to things that people obviously want. I have an example, which is a company called Netmarble. Last year, they did not have a booth at E3, but they did attend in order to meet up with people and talk about their company. This year, they have a booth. What happened in between? Netmarble had the biggest IPO in Korea in seven years. And I don't mean video game. I mean IPO in general for the whole country. That was really impressive. So they got their audience in Korea, and now they're over at E3 trying to expand their American audience as well. And I've seen that happen with a couple of other companies, like Drinkbox. Uh, they came out with a really cool game called Guacamelee, and it's very simple, and it's cooperative, and people love it. And it's still regarded as one of like the top 20 games to have for your PlayStation. You see that on uh, even back five years on PlayStation 3. Journey was another indie game, and it's beautiful. 
and significant. And they've had a couple of other successful sequels that have come out. Just seeing what has been E3 of 2017, what do you think is in the future for E3 2018? I definitely think they're going to continue with this Comic-Con-esque format where it's open to the public, everyone's allowed in, it's going to be huge, massive. I think it's going to cater more toward the general audience than it did like during our time there when it was closed. It was, you know, company meetings. Corporate. Yeah. Totally. And I, I wonder if all the live streaming of the previous few years has kind of changed their minds of what this convention should be. You're right. Yeah. Because there were, I think there were 15 million viewers of PlayStation's press conference when the sound went out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With technical difficulties and nothing to hear or maybe even see, people want to see it that bad. Yeah. Everyone was going crazy in the chat. It's it's big business. And E3, I think, is significant and going to just become more so because it gives people something to be excited about. And that's all they really want. Do you want to go next year? Yeah. Please, somebody send me. I don't know. Like, if, if we look at just the amount of people that were there and the amount of waiting that you have to do, I'm, I might be better off just taking a few days off and live streaming everything. You know what you could do? A VR experience oh, of see, E3. Now you're getting into it. Now you're getting into it. <laughs> well, I'm mostly just ripping off a skit from Portlandia where they go to a music festival and they have these VR goggles on and they fly drones around. I think we should do that at E3. Okay, that's our plan. So to everybody out there, we'll see you at E3 2018 via drone. All right. That is our show. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. And to everybody out there, I do definitely want to know what you thought of E3 this year. What do you think is going to happen in the video game industry in the next year? And let's stretch it, let's say next five years. Tweet us at SparkPR, and we will definitely get back to you on it. Peace. Peace.